0: Hello and welcome to Open School of Business. Today, I have a pleasure to introduce you to Deva Menon, global growth strategist and a founder at several companies. Uh, One of them is Control F, another one is Bad Brain. Uh, Hi Deva, Uh, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good Anar, how are you?
0: Uh, Great, Uh, I would like to uh, start you off with, Telling us about the idea behind your startups uh, and how you come together to implement
1: it. Like, so when I graduated from law school, I graduated in like 2009 and the economy or 2012, sorry. And the economy was in such a place where entry level, like just associate attorney positions were about 40,000. And I remember thinking to myself. $40,000 $40,000 for a, an associate attorney. Like, I could literally do anything else, anything I want to do if this is not what I'm interested in. And I wasn't really interested in practicing law. And so, what I found myself doing was a lot of contract work in terms of marketing. And I started getting so many contracts that I didn't, like, I couldn't do them all myself. And so, what I ended up doing is creating kind of like a DBA, a small little DBA. And asking my friends to come join me, right? Because all of us need money. All of us are struggling. And so we're like, okay, cool. Let's just conquer these contracts together. And that landed up snowballing into something where, you know, we're now going into our sixth year. We're doing well. Um, you know, I, I kind of had to figure out a mission over time because it's not like I had intentionally set out to create Brad, Bad Brain. It was more just a company that started accidentally. And so over time, you know, we've started to develop this mission of, you know, creating ethical campaigns. So, for example, you know, if somebody's like, "Hey, you know, I really want to use TikTok to to market to teenagers," that's not something that we're gonna do, right? And we're gonna we're gonna work really hard to make sure that the client understands um, what what the implications of doing something like that really are when you're when you might be assisting another company and leveraging the data of American miners. And we don't know how that data is being used. So we're, you know, we, we have our stances on things and we're, we really try to stick with it. And we really try to do that. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about that. Um, another one that we are developing right now is actually in, well, I don't want to give too much away because we're, we're in the stealth phase right now. It's such a simple idea. i like, if we say it out loud now, everyone's going to do it and they're going to do it better. Um, but it's it's essentially control F for real life. So you'll see that our tagline says for real life and that's because we are trying to make, make a program where in real life you can find the things you need. And I keep telling people it's because control Z would have required time travel and I don't know how to invent that. So <laughs> we're working on control F instead. <laughs> that's the plan. Um, And then we're working on a couple other ideas. Yeah, like, so we'll see. I think right now is such a great time to just work on things that interest you, you know, and just stay kind of in this mode of education and learning and building something because it's just, it's the perfect time. You know, you're stuck at home. You're not really going to go out much. Most of my clients, at least, like the work is basically autopilot at this point where you know i have i have the time i have the energy and i have you know the friends and network to kind of build things out so i'm actually really enjoying the quarantine for that reason alone so
0: yeah that is amazing and um i've been uh looking uh through your uh, linkedin account and i noticed yeah. that you have such a diverse background and education And uh, uh, what popped into my head right away when you were telling me that you graduate with a, a law degree and you start working on marketing contracts. Um, but I see yeah. a bachelor's degree in sociology. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um,
1: exactly. Can you
0: kind of explain how did you land all these marketing projects? Over sure, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so marketing is actually a really nebulous concept if you think about it, right? It touches on everything and anything. You know, it, it, there's a creative portion of it. There's a data portion of it. There's a highly qualitative scientific portion of it. Um, I think... For me, it—I I didn't really know what I was getting into, right? I just knew when I graduated law school that I was bored, um, I was stressed out, and I just wanted to—I wanted to do something creative. I wanted to have some kind of job where I could have a little bit of expression and a little bit of, you know, intellectual movement. And so I had actually started as a copywriter. And it just took, I think, maybe like a couple of weeks before people realized that, you know, maybe a strategy would be a better fit for me because I was sitting there and I would analyze like crazy. So whenever I would submit copy, I would come at it from this perspective of listen, I took all of this data, I put it together like this and I kind of came to these conclusions and we should test like X, Y, Z. And I would suggest that we test it like this and people are like, wow, we didn't know that you could do any of that, right? So um, statistics, for example, is something that I work heavily with. Being able to take apart, it's always so funny, I was literally talking to my best friend the other day and she was saying how, you know, when she was at work, somebody had kind of, you know, made her feel like her, her job was lesser than. And um, I was like, well, imagine me, you know, like I go in sometimes and people are like, oh, that's the social media person. And people think that, you know, because their niece has an Instagram account that we do the same things, and it's absolutely not that. So I will sit there and I will take apart every post, every bit of data. I will put them against confidence intervals, and I will check to see, like, if there's any actual movement. Because what you'll find a lot is that people kind of take these micro movements in the data, and they start making really big swings based on that tiny bit of data, and there's really not a reason to do that, right? Especially when you're at a startup, you, you really shouldn't be thinking about micro-movements and data, and you should really just be thinking about your brand and what you're trying to achieve. And if you're not achieving what you want to achieve, work harder at it, right? Um, at the same time, I also really like creatives. Well, I like thinking about the psychology of how we're ingesting a lot of this. So kind of coming back to our pillar of ethics at Bad Brain, a lot of it is like, you know, we work a lot with healthcare CPG, and a lot of it is, you know, we don't want to put out messages where we're scaring a consumer, right? Um, and I'm just making this up because uh, I don't want to talk about any client specifically, but, you know, for example, let's pretend that, that you have a heart pill of some sort, right? Something that, that helps with a heart condition. I think it's unfortunate if we keep telling this person, oh, think of the pain that you're in. We can get rid of that pain. Like, no, don't think about the pain. Just, let's just talk about the product. Like, what is it alleviating, right? And so, and, and I feel like, you know, when we go out into the world and we're consuming all this branding that's everywhere and all of these markons that are everywhere. And if they're scaring you, scaring you, scaring you in an already scary world, I mean, even before the pandemic, it's not like life was easy, right? We're already scared of everything. And it's like, there's no need to kind of amplify that. So I think I enjoy the level of social responsibility that's inherent to marketing as well, especially on the end of communications and creative. So for me, I think marketing really worked for me because I am so diverse. And I think it is one of the most diverse fields that you can find. It's not like accounting, right? Where it's like, this is it. This is your spreadsheet. These are your numbers. Do this day in and day out. With marketing, there's so much stuff that you can play with and you can do. And I love that. I love being able to do that.
0: Yeah. And I love that you're saying there is a creative part and also there is the logical statistics and uh, numbers yeah. part. Uh So if yeah. you were um, a small business uh, or a startup, uh, you don't Uh, focus on the micro movements, like you said, but uh, what kind of KPIs do you think people should uh, absolutely keep in mind when they're doing digital marketing? Um, That's such a good question. Yeah.
1: Um, So I would say, you know, as a startup, you're, and I work with real early stage, right? I'm talking like so early where you're not going to see huge amounts of conversion right like you're really working at that point to identify people so you know people always ask me like you know what what like what does failure look like and i'm like there's no such thing as failure when you're a startup really right you're essentially just testing things to see if it works and if it doesn't work that just means that that's not the thing that you're supposed to go after so I think a lot of it is segmentation. I think a lot of it is also branding. Um, you know, there's this idea that branding is. Branding is separate from marketing in the sense of branding is about the brand. That's where you and your company get to say who you are and not have to think so much about whether it's going to be effective from a marketing standpoint. And that might change, right, though, like when you're actually working with these audiences and you're learning more about them, like your branding might actually change a little bit because your own mindset is changing. So it's, it's a lot of this testing kind of metamorphosis. It's you having this original idea and going into it where your KPIs should be, more out of a qualitative idea right where you're really trying to see what is the quality of interaction we're getting back and some of that is going to be in numbers right some of that is going to be like you know if you're looking at a hierarchy of things and you're finding that you know people 55 to 64 are responding much better than maybe people that are 18 to 24 to your product that's important to know, right? It might, not, it might not actually be the case down the lane, but it's important to know up front and being able to figure out what exactly all these segments are. So I would say, yeah, maybe, really, I would say maybe that's, those are the KPIs. And even though we work on the performance marketing end, I always let um, clients know, you know, that performance for a startup is not going to be the same thing that it is, an early stage that it is when we start nearing growth and it changes like in a year and you know and it's so interesting too cuz there's there's an inflection point i think for any company that has the ability a good product right really good product mar- market fit it's not always going to be this insane like you know the proverbial hockey stick but it's there like you'll see it and i usually see it for most of the companies i work with I would say I see it anywhere between the one to two year mark. So after a year, but before we hit two years, I usually see it in there somewhere where it's like boom, something just kind of takes off. And that's always fun to see because that's where that's where marketing gets interesting is at that point. But definitely in the very beginning, you're looking at qualitative needs. You're trying to understand and figure out your market more so than, you know, than just performance. It's a little bit less about getting the conversion numbers up as high as you can, like, yes, that's important, but it's really about figuring out like, who are we and who is our market and then taking that to investors and being able to show them these things. Right. So,
0: yeah. Right. And um, I think it's the, really that conversation, establishing the conversation between you and the consumer, uh, really finding out their needs. Uh, one of my favorite Absolutely. books, um, I don't know if you heard about it, You must have heard about that one, The, the Mom Test. Um, no, I haven't about, um It's um, a book about how you conduct uh, customer interviews early on, even on the idea stage, where you don't really reveal your idea, but you ask people about how they're um, fulfilling that need currently. Yeah. Uh, And if they really don't even care about that particular problem that you're solving, you would know right away that it might not be a good idea uh, and all these things. But in general, like in marketing, there is a notion that if you talk to about five to 10 people uh, and uh, they all love it or, or they all hate it, it's kind of a representative of a bigger population, even though these are all might be people from your own circle and from uh, very similar uh, circumstances of your own. So what do you think in in that sense? Do you think that's enough of um, representation? Sure. Um,
1: So that's a really good question. And for me, my brain immediately goes back to that sociology part of me. Mm -hmm. Um, Sample sizes and bias are so important. First of all, each sample, right? You should have at least a handful of samples from all kinds of places. If you want to do it through clusters, however you want to do it, random selection, however you need to do it, do it, because obviously money will constrain some of those those, um, those studies anyway for you, especially when you are a startup and you're probably self-funded. Um, but going to your friends, your friends might not like your idea, right? Like they don't need to, it just means that that's not going to be your population, right? And birds Mm -hmm. of a feather tend to flock together. So maybe it's not for for you as well, right? (laughs) Maybe it's for somebody else and it's who you take it to. So you really need to be able to have access to different groups of people and find out from each of them, like what they're thinking. Five Mm -hmm. to 10 people is a very, very, very low base number to make any kind of assumption off of. Um, you, you should look at more than that. And the nice thing is you can cheaply do it thanks to digital, right? Like if you really yeah. wanted to, you can run a Facebook survey, find different kinds of people and just run a Facebook survey to all of these different segments of people with all of these interests. Run, mm-hmm. run it through SurveyMonkey, right? Like you can do it so many different ways, where you're not constrained to that now I will say this if your friends are not supportive they might not be your friends (laughs) I'm like no matter any stupid idea I have my friends are always like yeah you know it's not for me but you should go for it so I'm like cool great so but yeah um, that's a really good question about sampling and bias though
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if you could expand a bit more about how to run a survey on Facebook. Um, Because if you think about it, like even even just getting people to look at it or and do some kind of reaction on your post, you have to spend quite a bit and to actually make someone and go and answer five to ten questions hopefully five you can figure out like the most important questions but even five questions people are not motivated to do that sure so um and
1: and again this is where it comes to your market right so if you have a unique enough value proposition people are going to be interested to do it so so we'll go to Control f for example so what I'm going to be doing with that is running, running ads to see if I can get people to sign up for beta testing, beta testing being kind of that incentive. So if you can incentivize it in some way, that's always good, right? Like give them something. And some people, they they like to be like the first person to try out a new, a new app or a new piece of technology, right? So this is something where I'm like, that can be the incentive when they sign up for beta testing, I'll have an idea of how many people are actually interested in it. Because right now I can't go to investors without a product and without an audience. I have to be able to show something, right? So similarly, you can do something like that. And always remember like, you have to optimize on that pixel. So Facebook has something called a pixel. I'm just gonna, I don't know if you guys already know this, people probably already do, but just in case, you never know if there's someone that's very novice to uh, Facebook. But um, so there's something called a pixel and it collects data and it optimizes your ads for you. So if you're optimizing your ad for for form submission, for example, like in our case, that's what we're talking about, right? Because we wanna do the survey. So we're gonna optimize that for a form survey or for the completion of the form. And so you're gonna put a little pixel on there, right? And you want it where upon the completion of that form, that it's going to trigger like the lead event gets triggered. So now you're going to optimize all of these, all of these ads for leads. So you're going to do a conversion ad for a lead and that's going to, you know, Facebook is going to go out there and it's going to keep optimizing on that as to where it's finding people who will do that. Now, that all depends, right? Like, if, it, it could be cheap. It could not be cheap. Like, B2B is always going to be expensive everywhere. Most people are just not interested in doing that. If you go to LinkedIn, I mean, like, leads probably cost you anywhere from 75 to 100 bucks per lead, whereas on Facebook, it really just depends, right? Like, right now, I have one client. We're giving HCPs as much free product as possible because um, they really need it right now. And so we're probably doing, I think it's like 59 cents per lead on that. And that's a B2B as well. So it really just, yeah. So it really just depends, you know, and if you're running engagement ads on posts and you're not getting what you see, engagement ads on posts should really be no more than about 5 cents per engagement. Um, And that's on the consumer end. Um, Again, B2B might be a little bit different, but it probably shouldn't be. Um, But if, if it's more than that on a Facebook post, I would reevaluate like your segmentation. I would reevaluate the post itself, like what does the image look like? What does the text say, the copy say? And um you know, me and my team like I have this fantastic uh, graphic guy, and he was telling me he was like, "You know, I always I love writing, but he was like, it's just it's a shame because no, nobody cares about what what's written. They only care about the picture." So that's why he ended up getting more heavy into the graphic stuff, right because he's like, "I want my work to matter, so I do this instead so I'm like, that's great um, so really think about your creative at that point, right? The numbers are just indicating that there's something up either with your market or your creative
0: so when you're already working with the client, they know your work ethics, they know the quality yeah. of your delivery, and then it's a no brainer yeah. uh, however, how do you um get new clients and how how do they get convinced that that brain
1: is yeah. actually
0: a good well, effective brain for their marketing yeah. <laughs> uh, right brain if you will <laughs> because, you <laughs> know, you i mean the, so, the notion back usually you you have to say what yep. you stand for and it's better be Absolutely. something self-explanatory and you know the yeah how do you do that Well, you know, it's,
1: it's interesting because while I think we all appreciate ethics and morals and that's, you know, definitely what our mission is, it's not exactly our selling point. Um, But to me, it's always important that people understand that, you know, we're not going to do a company's dirty work for them because some agencies are more than happy to be that person. And that's just not us. Um, And so that's, you know, that's always kind of baked in, but, you know, I used to do this thing where I would talk to people where i didn't really know them or anything and you know maybe they were a potential client but i always found that i don't know it's it's like if you don't know us you don't really know how effective we are and the quality of clients that were coming in through like cold inbound i wasn't really a fan of what they were doing or what their kind of stance on things were. And a lot of them would lowball us too. Uh, you know, there's kind of, especially, so I was in LA, so you can imagine how much entertainment is here. Like everybody's in entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I found that that's an industry that tends to lowball people because they think that you should just be proud of the fact that you got to work in entertainment. But at the same time, our rent in LA is not paid on pride. So some, <laughs> our rent is insane here. So I'm like, I don't know how much pride it takes to come up with 3500 bucks a month just to pay rent, but that's, you know, I don't think that that's really possible. So I really, at that point was like, you know, I'm not going to waste much, much money anymore on marketing and this and that. We're just going to focus on doing a really good job with our clients because what I found is it's not even the clients half the time that are recommending us. It's the other agencies working with that client. And they'll be like, Hey, you need to talk to Divya. She's got this company, bad brain. You'll want to bring her in. Like, this is what she did. Like for this one client that we had. So, you know, I think it, a lot of it has to do with being really, you would think that there's a lot of competition, right? Like, and there is, but the truth is these other agencies were like, a family here in LA, you know, especially a small mm-hmm. like boutique agencies. A lot of us are like family. We all know everybody, you know, we all know everybody's business and it's like, <laughs> that's, that's the nature of it. And we help each other out. You know, there've been plenty of instances where, you know, it's, a, a client's just too big for me. You know, I, I can't, I can't take it on. like, it's just too much. And it's way beyond like our, our experience level kind of thing. And I don't want to mess it up. And so I'll bring in, you know, friends of mine that have much more experienced agencies that do phenomenal work, you know, like these are guys working with Google, where it's like, I would much rather bring them in and have them do it and, you know, not have to sully our reputation. And that's so important. Like, that's the thing about agency life, you know, somebody the other day asked me, they were like, well, what happens if you tell them that you're not gonna do something because you find it to be unethical? And I'm like, well, they have to stick with me, right? Because the truth is, we do good work, you know, you can't argue good work at the end of the day, like, if the work is good, the work is good. So then it's just more of a matter of like, well, you know, we can't do this and feel okay with it. And so similarly, you know, if we're going to sit here and preach ethics all day, like, we have to be really honest about our capabilities and what we do. And so we've always been really honest with our clients. And I know that other agencies have really appreciated that because that means that we're not trying to take their work. We're not trying to oversell ourselves in a way that, you know, other agencies are failing because we're not pulling our weight. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say and really so agency w- word amount is be the best
0: be specialty? Um,
1: yeah, definitely strategy for us. Like we, mm-hmm. we execute as well but strategy is our biggest thing so even our creatives everybody thinks about everything from a strategic level so everybody's got some background in numbers um whenever i had to go out at one point i did have to like hire somebody you know and because you know it's one thing to hire your friends all the time but you know it really got to a point i remember a handful of years ago where i needed to find someone and you can't work here unless you can score as high as i did or better on a math exam and so, so I legit have and all like, but just to get an interview, you have to pass this particular math exam, right? And it's not it's not a really hard one. It's just like, here's the exam, if you can pass it, great, right? And it's more just this idea of like, you know, strategy, yes. Like guts, gut and experience count for a lot, but clients wanna see numbers, right? They wanna know, that like, oh, we're not coming from Divya's gut instinct. She is saying this because of XYZ experience and she's been able to actually put here, put it in front of us in terms of numbers, right? Because they love to see numbers. And so if you're able to do that, then you're, you're good. And so I believe that, you know, yes, you can do creative and I think that that's great, but you still have to be able to explain the impact that your creative has. Otherwise you're just an artist, right? To me, that's the difference between an artist and somebody in marketing is that differentiation. You're not doing this for expression or feeling. You're doing this with an end goal in mind to reach those KPIs, to reach those conversions. And so if Mm -hmm. that's the case, like you have to be able to show and demonstrate to the client that you're able to have that impact. So we're all kind of, you know, we're, we're all kind of like this then. We're all able to do this. Like my head copywriter is a behavioral economist. And so it's like we all have this like really fabulous background of both math and science, and also creative. So
0: yes. And when you say strategy, do you work with uh, any clients who haven't identified their uh, target audience yet? Do you? Help oh yeah, them all the time, all out? the time, mm-hmm. absolutely all
1: the time. Because I, I'm getting early stage, right? And so when I'm getting these early stage startups, they. They might have a general idea because they've already gotten their funding and, you know, they've, you know, so they've had to put together some level of documentation. They have some basic idea of what they're probably looking at. And so, and that's always nice, but even there, they'll be the first people to tell you, listen, I don't know, right? I just said whatever I had to say so I could get, get the investment money, but like, go do, what, do whatever it is that you do. And so a lot of that is testing, 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 seeing what, what it is. And what's interesting is you know, there's, there's so many differences, at least in the digital ecosystem, with how we consume it um, across age groups, for example, where a lot of times, like right now I have this one client and I remember showing them the numbers, and I'm like, the big percentage of your traffic is coming from people that are 25 to 44, but they're not converting. Um, everybody else that is converting is higher than that but they're a smaller percentage of your, of, your, of your smaller percentage of your traffic right and i'm like so what does that say right it's to me that says like it's not that they're not interested it's that you're not tailoring the messaging in a way where they're interested because if they're coming here they're interested in the product enough where they're now on your site but the site needs to do something to convert them right and typically when you're older, especially in health CPG, because, you know, there's going to be a day where even you and I are, you know, we're at a stage in life where all we're trying to do is kind of buy as much health time as we get. And so they'll convert a lot more easily with health CPG because they're, you know, they're like, I don't care if this box is purple. I don't care if you're using stock photos. I just need this product. Right. But then when we're looking at younger age categories, like brand is really important. Branding is super important. And so, you know, I've seen, I've seen ads go out where we're using stock imagery and people are like, cool product. What's with this? stock photo you know <laughs> like what is this <laughs> like people have no problem talking about your creative even when you s- when send out ads and part of that I think is great I think everybody to some degree now these younger generations are almost built in with like marketing like they come complete when they're born with marketing knowledge and I'm like this is amazing right and I think so much of that has to do with the access to things like influencers and news and all of it where they're able to kind of, they're part, they're part of it. They're very conscious of it. Right. And so many of them, you know, they're influencers before they're even before they're even old enough to drink, you know? And so they're sitting there and it's like, they're already kind of becoming like little business people. And they're thinking about, you know, things like segmentation and marketing and money and deals and this and that where, you know, this, these people, including my generation, right? Like I'm a millennial and, you know, I I aged into this in a way where, you know, when I was a kid, I was on AOL, you know, and I was always putzing around on the internet in my teens. So, you know, as we grow older, we have expectations of what we want to see. And I think younger generations are certainly more keen on branding in addition to great product, right? We could probably thank Apple for that, but like, they expect everybody to just like be perfect at that point. So, yeah, and you'll, you'll see interesting things like that where, you know, you take it back to the client. It's like, this is what's happening, you know, like this is what's going on. And you can make it by sense, but, you know, the thing about creative is it's also pretty expensive, you know, if you really want it done right. And so there's this tendency to kind of be like, well, you know, this is all we can afford. But the thing is, if all you can afford is even just like three or four really great images, do the three or four great images versus like, you know, changing every image, every month, every two months, you know? Cause the people that are seeing this, especially from a prospecting perspective, it's their first time. Like you might've seen it for a year straight. For many people, it's going to be their first time seeing it, you know? So like, make sure that you just have like a few pieces of creative that are really powerful and you're good. Like you're set at that early stage level, you know?
0: right And, um, You were talking about uh, influencers. Um, Do you work with influencers a lot?
1: You know what? I really don't. I consider that more of a press thing. But it's something that has interested me on the back end, right? Like, I enjoy kind of seeing how it translates on the back end. So from an overall marketing strategy thing, yes. Like, we do work with influencers because we'll be the ones who recommend, like, hey, you know, maybe you should start getting other people in the community talking about it. In which case, influencers, affiliates—you know, people that are kind of building out these groups and that the consumer can speak to, um, almost as a representative—is really good. Um, but on the back end, you know, it's—I always think it's a little unfortunate. I think influencers get a bad rap. Um, yeah, you know, the, at the same time, they're not—you know, it's not like they all went to Harvard Business School or anything, right? Like these are just normal people like me and you. And they just happen to have, you know, this fabulous Instagram account, you know, and everybody loves it because, I don't know, this person makes fabulous soup, right, and everybody's into the soup. And so it's like, you know, they don't, I, I don't think that they have an understanding of how to pitch themselves and how to promote their value to a marketer because marketers, again, are very interested in the numbers at the end of the day. And so attribution becomes really important. And you might have this guy that makes fabulous soup on Instagram and, you know, he's sitting there and he's doing ads for you and you're not seeing any sales come out of it. But maybe what happened is five other influencers landed up picking it up or a press member, a member of the press landed up picking it up. And really what he did is at an awareness level, he's performed really well, but he doesn't know that, right? Like he doesn't doesn't know to tell like a potential client, oh, listen, like, I know that I'm not very good at sales, but for some reason, every time I make a post, like I know that six other influencers picked it up. And it's tough because they don't know that we don't have technology or tools to tell anybody that I think people are so focused on attribution at the bottom of the funnel that they've kind of forgotten to do the rest of it. You know, it's like, I'm sure that all of this plays into it. It's like that want conundrum, right? Like, that, what, what did he say? Like, I spend all this money and I know half of it is a failure and the other half is like really great. And that's what marketing is to me. And it's kind of like, it's kind of the same thing still, right? Like, especially with influencers, because they just don't, they don't, they don't know where their value in the funnel is.
0: Yeah. But and I believe
1: that there's good use for them, you know?
0: Yeah. When when you have investors, at least you have that budget where the 50% can go to failure. Right. Uh, what do you do if you're a self-funded startup founder uh, or a small business owner and especially if the pandemic for example now affected your business um, do you have any tips or advice what to do right now and also from your own perspective have you applied for loans Um, we're fine uh, Yeah. uh,
1: yeah. Like we're, we're good on my end. We haven't had any massive hit or anything, even though our clients are, you know, a little uh, producing a little less, I should say, and definitely sales are softer for a lot of them. Um, It's not like they're, they're, they're applying for it, but we don't need it. You know what I mean? Cause I'm just like, w- there's no need for us to have to go get anything like that yet. Um, I'm not, fearful either because what we provide is so essential to the client because we have knowledge and experience and acumen that you know we're integral to the to all of them um so i'm not really to me it's like unless they go out of business you know then that's a problem but since i work heavily with e-commerce companies i'm not really suffering Um, for me i think what i've noticed on the client side is the hardest thing is production and shipping right now so, because again, when you're working primarily in health CPG, these are things that people need anyway. So it's not that the demand has necessarily gone down. Now, so I do have one client, healthcare CPG, that's like kind of the premium priced food product. And they're not, you know, that for them, it's a little different. But again, it's because they priced it like luxury. And so if people look at it and they think that, oh, this is a luxury, not a necessity, it's, it's a done deal there. But I mean, most of my guys are doing pretty okay. So, um, but I would say this, I would say if you are suffering, you need to start looking into, you know, ways that you can kind of start building demand for when this is done, right? If you need to cut your budgets, if you need to flash everything, flash everything, because right now it's just emergency mode, right? Like you just have to do whatever you can to like get through the next handful of months. So do whatever you have to, to do that. And that I can't advise on, right? Like, I don't know, what everybody's unique situation is. And I would never want to give advice that's just going to like hurt somebody more. But what I'm trying to do right now with a lot of my clients is use this time to really start educating people, right? Like on what it is like, cause so much of this stuff involves science with my clients. It's like educating people more on the science, understanding the sciences, right? What it is that, that these people, the science behind all of these products, um, cause eventually the thing is, yes, are we, are we headed into like really tough, like financial crisis? Yeah, for sure. But some products, they'll, they'll, they'll still be okay. Right. I don't know. I was listening to somebody today who was talking about markets and he was like, you know, you kind of have to get tough on yourself. And if you realize like you might not have a product that's gonna survive this bold now right and i think that that was you know that's good he can say that because he has that background i'm just kind of repeating that but like if you're not if you really have a good product and you know you have a good product like this is just such a fantastic product stick with it right survive these three months and instead start building up the consideration part of your funnel start really getting people educated start having people understand what it is that you do and what it is that you make, because the truth is once you're growth stage, especially, like especially once you're in growth stage, there's so much pressure on the company, especially from investors and the board and everything to just do nothing but produce conversions where this idea of being able to take the time to educate audiences you don't really have that anymore. People are now really throwing their budget at bottom of the funnel activity and everything that's top of the funnel will probably go to your press teams at at best, right? Like they're not really gonna rely on the rest of you as much for it. And so I would think that in a way now is kind of nice because you can stop and take the time to cultivate All of these relationships with your audience as well. Like now is the time to like really look at your loyalty too, right like look at look at those that are in your loyalty part of the funnel and who you're retaining because you really want to be able to make them feel stronger and comfortable with you as a brand. So I mean, there are definitely things that can be done, but it's very much relationship focused, I think, and education focused. So right.
0: And um, as a digital marketer, like, do you see in the future if um, markets slow down and uh, there'll be the less and less companies doing ads, do you foresee any kind of drop in price for uh, Google Ads or Facebook Ads or Instagram Ads? Yeah, and,
1: and the thing is, a lot of them, because it's all based on bidding anyway, yeah, the price is going to go down, right? I think people that bought and reach in frequency, any kind of reach in frequency out ahead of time, maybe it's a little different there because you're locked into the price. But um, in terms of the, the spends going down, yes, definitely. Because if we even start thinking about the fact that companies will have to fold and things will have to go under, Marketing and sales budgets are usually the first ones to get cut just because they're so big. It's not that it's unimportant. It's just that that's where so much of the money goes toward, right? So a lot of times that's what's going to get cut. And so now you've got less people that are out there that are competing for that same ad space. And so it's like, it's like any auction, right? Like if there's only two people in the room, you're just bidding against the one guy and if he's only got 10 bucks and that's it versus last week, whenever everybody came in, they all had like millions of dollars. So I think um, I think numbers would have to go down just as a matter of logic. Um, I would be curious to see how native buying changes, though. That should be interesting because public and you're in publishing, right? With the podcast, I would be very interested to see how um, how you guys in publishing kind of respond to that, to the fact that like um, you know, just brands don't have as much money. You know, and I've seen one thing like. I have seen with a little bit of the native buying that we've done in this, over this past month, I have seen that people are more open to taking lower prices. I don't know if that's like, you know, going to continue or what, but I feel like, I feel like things are so bad right now where everybody's just trying to help everybody. Like we're all just, you know, what can I do for you? Like if you need it cheaper, I'll make it cheaper. I get it, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think it's really cool that you were talking about how you guys help each other out in terms of agencies, industry in LA. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, the same is huh? happening uh, in most of industries, especially with the arrival of the pandemic. Um, people are yeah. getting together and doing things as opposed to being their own independent entity back in the day. So I, I see that yeah. being a big shift. Post quarantine, too, because then people would realize they are actually winning more by collaborating and by sharing. Yes, and letting everyone know about everyone else. um, Yep, that it just expands the network, makes the big pie the pie bigger. So it's really really awesome. And um, no, it it is. Yeah, and I think um, most of the industries will find some ways to collaborate in the ways that we haven't seen before. And that's what I'm excited yeah, about. That's a great for idea. For the most part. Yeah.
1: Um, no, I think that's great insight. I think you're right. I mean, and cause we're gonna have to, you know, cause it's, yeah. I think people are starting to realize cause it's so easy as a consumer for us to forget that every brand is actually a bunch of people working together on a common goal, right? And we do that to ourselves, right? Like we're the ones that put out this corporate entity, this, you know, this, this kind of fictitious entity as being a, almost human in, in and of itself, right? Like we kind of etymologize like that whole thing. And at the same time, it's like, or anthropomorphize it, sorry. But like at the same time, it's kind of, you know, this idea of we're starting to realize that we like, dude, it's people and like these are jobs, right? <laughs> now we're seeing a brand as a bunch of jobs. Like that's a bunch of jobs and in those jobs are people. And we have to keep these people employed. Like we have to do whatever we can. I have friends right now that are like, you know, they're being forced to like furlough, like one of my friends, like she's furloughed every two weeks, like no joke, like every two weeks she's basically unemployed at her job. They're making everybody like take this cycled thing where every two weeks they can't work. And, you know, and so I'm giving her stuff to do too. Cause I'm like, here, come and work with me on, on control F, you know, like, let's do this together. So it's kind of, you know, in a way I'm happy about it because like you're saying, I, I think it is forcing people like, that's such good insight and Like really it is forcing people to have to work together because we're starting to realize like, Oh, this isn't just some big brands, you know, these are people and they're, they're all out on their butts now for at least a few months, you know, and like my apartment complex, for example, it's so amazing because they're like, you can't afford rent. And this is, it is a pretty nice building, you know, and they're like, if you can't afford rent, let us know, like, we're not going to kick you out, which I think is also really important that some of these big companies that are providing us with food, shelter, et cetera, that they're making sure that people are still having shelter and they're having food and they're having clothes on their back, you know? So, yes. yeah, I, I, I hope it
0: people. stays. Yeah, I think it's, first of all, being a human to other human beings and uh, definitely having this fear of the fundamental fear of death i think it just really puts things in perspective so right now that's why we see so much humanity coming out and also some dark sides as well because different people react to crises differently Differently. and um, it's just really showing your true colors at the end um, and yep, I'm very ha- happy for, um, you to start a new business, um, I'm sorry, this challenging times because a lot of really great successful companies started out in economic crises, uh, in the economic yeah. downturn times. So, yep. um, yep. uh, if you would like, uh, to share, I would let you, uh, share a couple of words or, um, some kind of a shout out about your uh, new company uh and then i'd like to um really thank you for your time today and hope to keep in touch and um collaborate in the future
1: oh absolutely no and as these things start to develop i'd love to talk to you more i mean you because you talk to all of us from all kinds of walks of life i think you've got such fabulous insight because you really i mean How many, like I went and I listened to about five different podcasts that you've done and each person is so different. Like you really have kind of started your own business school. It's fabulous. I love it. Um, (laughs) I I absolutely love it. I'm
0: education always. And a lot of these people are from my personal network where I've worked with them or studied with them. And I felt like there's so much Uh, So many interesting stories and so much depth that I I just wanted to share with the world. Um, Definitely happy to have people join.
1: I love what you're doing. No, for sure. And, you know, if I think, if I find people, I think right now people are just super stressed out. So, I mean, I don't know if I can help you get people, but if I can, I'm going to see who all wants to do it. I'm going to be like, you need to go talk to Anar because she's putting together this fabulous podcast with all different perspectives from all types of businesses. Um, but yeah, Control F, you know, can't say too much about it because it's in stealth, but, um, you know, hopefully it will we'll have an MVP by August. I mean, when we do, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come show it to you for sure. But, oh, definitely. Um, yeah, like, but it'll be fun. And, you know, truthfully, right now is kind of the best time to be working on new projects. Again, it's a downtime idea, right? Like, so because everything's like autopilot for me at work, because it's not like anybody's going to make some big swings or anything during this. During this time, so I don't need to worry about, you know, last minute, crazy campaigns or anything, you know, I can really stop and I can start working on other things that interested me. And I went through kind of like this, I don't know if it's a midlife crisis or what, Anara, I don't know what happened to me earlier this year, but like somehow it's like I started doing all the self-reflection and I started realizing that me as a person, like not as a professional or anything else, like even as a professional probably, but just as a person, i focused a lot on the pain of a problem and i never really focused on the solution right and so for me like the control f idea it really came from that time where i just sat there and every time that something would bother me rather than thinking and complaining about it i would think to myself okay well how how would you solve it you know and one of the things was like i was looking for a piece of paper and I'm like, I can't, you know, I wish I could just say control F and get the paper, you know, like I would on the computer. I'm so annoyed. And so um, it stemmed from that where I was like, okay, well, if you do this, 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 you could actually make that happen. Like you could, that, that, that is possible. Like the technology exists, the hardware exists, the platforms exist. You just need to kind of put them together and then you would have it done. And, you know, I took it to a few friends who work in the industries that I would need. And they were all just like, oh my God, it's such a simple idea. It would totally work. Like you could do that. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to do it. You know, let's get it done. So one of my friends, she joined me. She's going to be, she's going to be heading up our technology, which I'm really happy about because she's another woman of color. Just a woman in general, having somebody like that leading up the technology, I think is fabulous because I don't think a lot of people see that, but especially because she's from an underserved population. I think it's really amazing because hopefully we can show other you know women of color from underrepresented populations that you know oh it's possible to be this this brilliant you know like it's it's amazing like anything is possible you know so i think more of us that are out there and we have representation i think the better it will be when you leave voices out honestly innovation is completely lost like if you look at like look at the accessibility space if you really want to see innovation the accessibility space is one of the most interesting spaces in, on the, like ever because these are people that really have to get creative to kind of get them through a world that hasn't been built for them. And so it's very, very, very interesting what comes out of there and all the different types of technology and everything. But similarly, you know, when, when our voices haven't been heard, you know, we're kind of putting a damper on, on innovation. And it's interesting because we see things so differently. Than our male counterparts, you know, and majority counterparts. So.
0: Right. So, yeah. And then just last yeah. week, I published a podcast, uh, um, a discussion with Laura Huang and her book. Oh, yeah. Love her. So good. <laughs> Turning She's adversity so good. into advantage. And I was yep. saying sometimes it's hard to be a white male too, because then your, advers- your advantage becomes your adversity. It's really all about the mindset and uh, whoever is starting up um, and thinking that oh this is actually the great time to be in business they'll be successful someone who is thinking oh my god it's just it's just a really bad time for me that's that's also going to be true and they're going to fail so uh it's really all about your beliefs and if you believe that you're going to be successful You're going to put yeah. more energy into it. You're going to be yeah. uh, doing things more proactively and talking to people with yep. more joy and happiness. And that will bring like they will it will drive them and motivate them more. So they will be interested in working yeah. with you. So it's just um, a cycle of self-fulfilling uh, prophecies. And, totally. uh, and I think also yeah.
1: people make the mistake of defining success up front. Uh, and and if I really think about why Bad Brain did well and why we continue to do well, I think it's because I never remember I never set out to start it, right? Like it just kind of happened, right? As a means of survival mm-hmm. and for us to keep taking contracts, it just kind of happened. So we never defined what success was. We never even really defined what it is that we did. Um, where when you give yourself that freedom to just kind of explore, success can come in such a different form, you know? Whereas if you're like success is that I build this one piece of technology and that it sells an XYZ, now that's all you're seeing, that's all you're thinking about. But if you don't do that to yourself, right, like the way that we're approaching control F, for example, it's very like, let's just see if we can do this, right? Like if not, like we'll just pivot it into something else, or maybe it's just a lost cause. But I would still consider us winners because at the end of the day, we're walking away with a lot of intellectual growth from that, right? Because you can't, there's no way, even if all you do is work on it one day, that one day that you work on your business idea, you've now exponentially like grown yourself from an intellectual capacity, right? You become such a different person just even after that one day alone. You know, I was looking at numbers the other day of like, you know, what how much does the average entrepreneur make? And it's I think it's something like between forty, fifty thousand, like in the US. Not a lot, right? Like we're not right. exactly like bawling out of control or anything. I mean,
0: realistically, and then on top yeah. Yeah. It's um we had this conversation about small businesses that realistically yeah. they never really um reach the level of a senior manager. A position which makes you want to give them the yeah. title of a nonprofit. Yeah, there are actually yeah. talks about that <laughs> yeah. in legislation that yeah. maybe the small businesses should have the same benefits and same uh, tax yeah, advantages. Yeah, I love that.
1: Oh my god, that's a great idea. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And especially, yeah. you know, especially because a lot of people, you know, they are doing it for free, and typically it's your founders that are doing it for free, right? You know. These companies that if they land up selling, it's not the stuff that you read on TechCrunch. You know, it's not this like, you know, this, oh, sell raises 2 million, sells for whatever. It's like, it's not like that. Like, it's like maybe you do half a million, 700,000, but dude, you just put five years of work into this for free. Like, it's not, you know, it's pretty much just compensating you for time that you already spent. You know, that's about that's about it typically whenever mm-hmm. you're selling something. So, you know, it's one of those things where I totally agree, you know, it's like, what if they just kind of had that money up front or something? I don't know. There's got to be something, but I like that. Yeah. Tax breaks, all of that would be so helpful, you know, and then if we like look at, you know, at mental, mental being in our, in our entrepreneur community, um, look it up. It's on the World Economic Forum and they've kind of listed out, like, you know, the percentages of everybody, but about half of us have a mental difference. I hate calling it an illness, etc. We're just different, (laughs) right? Um, Because it's true. Like, so for me, for example, like, we're 10 times more likely to have bipolar. And I was diagnosed with bipolar unspecified. And I'm like, I don't really like to see it like that. Because first of all, bipolar unspecified, like, okay, what, what are the specifics that we're lacking, right? But like, on top of that, it's, it's almost like, if i didn't have the energy that i have for my mental difference if i didn't have all of this stuff i don't know that i would have gotten this far anyway so in a way we kind of exploit these mental differences of people to go and build these things because think about it right like the city the state your government has an actual interest in you turning into the next jeff bezos And so you're sitting here and you're listening to press about Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos and everything. And people are thinking that that's accessible. It's not accessible. Like we're all running off a cliff and everybody's, you know, it's like everybody's like, yeah, yeah, go do this. Right. And then when we all jump off, you know, only one Mark Zuckerberg is going to make it right. The rest of us have now just jumped off a cliff and we've hit splat or maybe maybe we were kind of okay and we landed in a bush or something most of us are just going to splat on the ground. And right now, with things being the way that it is, I'm worried, you know, like I'm definitely worried because it's like people are going to have to fold. People are going to be like, I can't personally take on this debt. My wife hasn't talked to me in like six months. She's so mad because I I never have time for her and all this stuff where I'm like, I hope that, you know, I hope that everybody has someone to talk to, you know, someone to talk to, somebody to feel like, okay, we can put an action plan together at least, you know, we can get something done where I don't feel terrified that, you know, this is, this is going to end in a, a catastrophe.
0: Right. Um,
1: because it, it really is unfair, you know, like we take advantage and we really exploit people's differences for our benefit. But, you know, where, where are we whenever all of that goes to crap? Nowhere. Mm-hmm. We're nowhere to be found. So.
0: I mean, I'm glad that you brought up the mental a wellness factor in entrepreneurship especially and i think just the entrepreneurial life itself um, molds our brains into being stressed bipolar when you know you get a good news you're really like excited and then you get get really crashing news and then you have to you You know, you have to be
1: able to work nonstop, which is really one of the hallmarks of bipolar is that we work, 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 and that we take risks, right? These are two of the most important parts of being an entrepreneur, too. It's something where I think as a community, we should be probably most, you know, heightened kind of our cognizance of it now um, so, you know, cause most of us that are entrepreneurs, we know at least another one, you know, we know a couple of them, right. So it's right. like, just kind of look out for one another and make sure like, you know, your buddy's doing okay, because we're really good at hiding it too. You know, like there's this idea of like, <laughs> oh, if you're an entrepreneur, like you have to be Billy badass all the time. You can't have feelings yeah. because it's like your entrepreneur buddy is putting on a front just like the rest of us are. And it's just like, you know, check in and like, make sure they're okay. and you know just kind of be there for them, you know, even if they're not talking about it, let them know that you care.
0: Right. Yeah. I think it's really, really important at this time uh, for everyone. One of the best phrases I've heard uh, from a Buddhist monk is you have to do everything with the mind that let go. And which really basically means that whatever you're doing, don't put too much importance into it. I I usually always say good luck. I wish you more clients, more of this, more of that. But today I just want to wish you to enjoy your journey. And uh, we want to hear back from you in August, September and have another uh, podcast with you. For sure.
1: Thank you so much, Anar. I really enjoyed this. And let me know if you need anything. I'm around.